You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply daily life as spiritual practice. In this episode, Eckhart talks with a live audience about the importance of using our daily lives as spiritual practice. Throughout the day, when we're not challenged by difficult people or circumstances, we invite presence into our lives, like a muscle that gets stronger with use. It becomes part of our daily routine. Then, when challenges do arise, we don't fall into unconsciousness we draw on our reserves. Eckhart calls it presence power. More and more your spiritual practice is everyday life rather than a separate time. And then you can have that too, it can be very helpful. But the most important thing is use daily life. If you want to divide daily life into those times when things are running, Okay, you're not being particularly challenged by difficult people or situations. And then there are times when you are being challenged by difficult situations. They may not be difficult, but you may think they are difficult, or you react as if they were difficult, and then you make them difficult. (laughs) And the same with people. There are people, they may not be conscious. Your reaction to those people changes the way in which you experience and changes that person's behavior too, unless they are immune and they're so present that they can no longer be influenced by your state of consciousness. But when you relate to someone, one state of consciousness meets another to some extent, they link up and then you get pulled down into their state, your reaction pulls the other person even further and you're both going down. Use those times when you're not being challenged to invite presence into your life. Then you grow, so to speak, in presence power. If there's not enough presence power, then every time you get challenged, you lose it. You lose yourself. You become completely unconscious. And you may know in your personal life there may be certain situations that always create upset, anger, any kind of overwhelming reaction. Perhaps you already know what those are. There may be certain people who do that to you. It could be your parents when you visit them. It could be other relatives, or it could be when your ex-husband or wife, when you bump into them, or whatever it is. It could be even remembering something from the past. It could be having to deal with money. And every time anybody mentions money, you go completely unconscious. Whatever it may be, if you don't invite presence into your life when you're not being challenged, 
there may not and probably will not be enough presence power so that you can transcend the old reactive patterns in you and stay present when the old challenges come that usually pull you into unconsciousness. So it's, it's vital not to just, when things are going okay, it's a routine kind of day, and you're drifting or doing the usual things. No, there it's essential to choose whenever an opportunity arises, and it arises continuously, for choosing to be present rather than be involved in judging and thinking. So choose presence when you walk from the building to your car. Watch your surroundings without labeling anything. Just be the presence through which the perception happens. Every time you do that, presence power grows in you. Then the next thing you get into your car, you shut the door. Why not stay for whatever, 30 seconds? Not automatically going to the next thing you do. No, consciously bring space into your life, which is primarily inner space. So you sit for half a minute before you start the engine and you look around and you feel the energy in your inner body and you perceive there's a presence that arises. And many occasions, whether it's at home, performing a routine actions or just going from here to there or just sitting. So presence does not mean that you always have to become still and stationary. You don't get necessarily frozen. Like there's some, I don't know if they still have flash mobs, flash when they, they can only do that with through people have phones these days so they can ring hundreds of people at the same time and say, we meet in that particular place and when your phone rings, you all go, Whatever position you are in, you should, they can do it in a supermarket or some public place, and suddenly everybody goes. <laughs> it's quite nice because it breaks the routine of everyday life. It's almost like a performance art performed by hundreds of people sometimes. But you don't need that for presence. It can help. There was even a spiritual teacher called Gurdjieff in the early 20th century who had the stop practice, so when students were talking amongst themselves, he would sometimes come into the room and suddenly shout, stop, and everybody has to freeze, whatever they were doing, any posture. And he did that in order to make people aware of how automatic their usual life is. They run on automatic, the next thing, and then that's the next thing, and then there's always, there's never really this, there's always the next thing you have to do, and the next thing, Totally automatic, I think he called it mechanical, like some kind of big machine. So he goes, stop! And, and then I think they would have to wait until he released them, and then they could carry on. But it's a desperate measure <laughs> to bring some presence into people who are otherwise completely absorbed in their mind. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Another thing he did, which I would not recommend, but he was a very eccentric teacher, he would sometimes have drinking sessions with his students, and he would challenge him to stay conscious even under the influence of alcohol. (laughs) Now, I usually recommend, as presence arises in you, not to indulge too much in alcohol. A glass of wine is fine, but if after one glass you no longer realize that two or three glasses would be too much, then one glass is too much too. But as presence arises, it can pull you down. Every time you get drunk, you go, it's like you go up the escalator and then you get drunk and it pulls you down. You stop walking up. I would recommend not indulging in alcohol. Once a certain degree of presence is there, it would be a pity if just a, a glass of wine could take you out and it's not the real thing. I love a glass of wine with dinner, sometimes two, but almost never more than two. One is the usual, and it's fine. Now, he tried to bring people to that awareness through very unconventional methods. Another thing, he had his dance, some kind of movement or dance. At that time, he thought these people were so unconscious, they needed desperate measures were called for. But... You don't need to freeze. You don't need to say, okay, I need to be still somewhere and sit, I need to get present. No, bring presence into, it can be on the one hand, it can be contemplative. When you are present, you're not doing anything in particular, but just perceiving. You're sitting in the car at the traffic lights. Why not use that precious moment rather than mentally create upset because you're not somewhere else? Isn't that absurd. You're creating upset in your mind because you're here but not somewhere else. (laughs) And it's not just the traffic lights. Many people live a large part of their life like that. They are upset or dissatisfied with where they are, what they are doing, and who they are with. (laughs) And this is the origin of the famous bumper sticker, I'd rather be whatever. Not here and not now. It's very normal, but unconscious, dysfunctional. Life becomes a frustrating experience. So use all those opportunities, whether it's contemplative, like you're sitting in the car, waiting at the lights. Why not be the presence? It's a precious moment. The only one there ever is. It manifests as this moment, there's the lights and here's the body sitting in the car. 
but it's always the present moment and it's precious, it's precious because there is nothing else. Only the mind tells you there's something else. <laughs> the mind tells you there's something more valuable than this moment. It's called some future point where I want, I want to get there. Once I'm there, things will be better. But you're never there because every here becomes a there in the mind that you would rather be than everyday life. Invite presence in ordinary situations that are not particularly challenging. For some people, even a red light, a traffic light is challenging. <laughs> Having to wait in line somewhere is challenging. <laughs> Why not use this precious moment and become alert? If feel the energy field in the inner body and just be there as an observing presence. And you, then you have the two dimensions. You have sense perceptions, hearing, and you have the formless presence. So you have this the light and that which appears in the light. It's always the same, the light of consciousness. So then you grow in presence power as you use all those situations that before were never good enough. <laughs> You're always on your way somewhere better. Use those situations to bring presence in. And then that power grows in you. It's only then if that power grows in you, of presence power, that you can deal with the heavy, let's call it, use an Eastern term, the karmic stuff, those accumulations in you that are old patterns, some of which originating in your present lifetime, in childhood, but in many cases, patterns that go back a long way in time. Your ancestors acting out patterns that your ancestors acted out 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, and still the same conditioning or you can look at it in terms of whether you look at it in terms of genetics, that you think that come, or in terms of past lifetimes. Whatever approach you want to use is fine. The fact is there are accumulations in you, there are patterns of unconsciousness that have been there a long time. We could call them karmic. Karmic meaning unconscious patterns that you usually identify with as yourself, that take you over completely. And the real karma is not the external events in your life. The external events in your life really trigger the karma that you carry inside and they become your reactions. And your reactions determine how you experience your life. So in a way, you could have the same thing happening to one person creating a certain response, and the same event happening to another person, creating a totally different response. For example, when I had just written my first book, the publisher said, why don't you sign some books for some famous people? They might give you an endorsement. So I did, and they were sent out, and almost nobody replied. <coughs> and I didn't realize at the time that those famous people how many books and manuscripts they get sent every week and every month. Now I'm getting them. <laughs> and, and now I'm the one who doesn't reply. 
because you just can't. It's impossible to read it all, even dipping in. It, 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 they pile up. There's a backlog. I have now already several months of backlog to get through. So it's very hard, if not impossible. But I didn't know that. But fortunately, I didn't take it personally without having read the four agreements. I already knew this is not a personal thing. <laughs> so it was not problematic. But I read some instances where people have sent me books and they got extremely upset because they didn't get an, a reply. And they get more and more upset and the letters became more and more angry. <laughs> and then I, I, I became the worst dreadful person in the world. And those are old karmic patterns that people carry, the external event triggers the pattern. For some people, it, what becomes a, a huge drama for one person is an insignificant event for another. <laughs> so how you experience your life is not really so much to do with what happens to you, but it's how you react, because every reaction determines the next thing that happens. So something goes wrong, you make drama out of it, and that creates more stuff. And this is how more karma gets created. How you react to a person determines how that person reacts to, to, to you. And so it's a reflection, in other words. Create, to a large extent, your life, ex not to a large extent, completely, your life experience unconsciously. And so to break the old patterns that create so much suffering, unnecessary baggage, I sometimes call it, that you carry around with you, that you, so you meet it, you interpret situations and people through the unnecessary baggage in your mind. For that to be transcended or dissolved, that requires presence power. The presence needs to be there when the old patterns arise in your life. And that is there so you don't wait for the challenge when hoping that you can stay present because you won't. Use it when you're not being challenged and invite presence into your life. In all those moments that are really precious and uh, that generates more than you. It's like a almost like the equivalent on the physical level would be working out. You get stronger, <laughs> so to speak. And so it's sometimes it's only a disaster that makes a person conscious. It has the potential of making a person conscious. It doesn't always, the potential is not always fulfilled. Often a disaster can make you even more unconscious and more unhappy. But potentially, any disaster, any great loss in your life can be the awakener, the awakener. And then you see, for example, many people when they fall seriously ill, they realize all the things that we've been worried about and upset about are quite insignificant. And suddenly they realize, what was all that about? All that drama that I had for the past 10, 15, 20 years in my life. Nothing. It was just generated out of, out of nothingness. What is a Shakespearean? A tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. <laughs> that is what many people's lives, unfortunately, boils down to. 
full of sound and fury. <laughs> and then they die. <laughs> it was so important, it mattered so much. <laughs> And then there's the gravestone. <laughs> and it's almost, almost a relief that they died because the, all, the, all the stuff finally comes to an end. But does it? Maybe they continue in another dimension. More drama in the astral realm. <laughs> so that is the, as I sometimes call it, the sort of presence needs to be there. And you practice in ordinary situations. And it's wonderful because already there the benefit is it's not a preparation for when things, when you're getting challenged, that, yes, that also, but the benefit is already there in the moment because the way in which you experience even the ordinary moments, which before are so boring and routine and not another, I have to go shopping again and my laundry, do that again and again. Even that is actually quite, when you really bring presence to it, every movement is actually, has a certain quality to it. You pick something up, you put it in the washing machine, and suddenly no thinking, just a presence. And you listen to the noise, whatever noises are associated with that particular movement, and it's a pleasant experience. You could call it a meditation. And then you might lose yourself in the mind, and then you come back. So the, and the alertness is there more and more. And that means the person subsides, the presence arises. So it's like the person is the seed that begins to dissolve slowly. It's still there, as long as you have a body, you're still a person. But it becomes transparent, so the seed, if you want to continue with that analogy, Something comes through that the, where the person was, something shines through the person. And that's, that means your identity, and this is a wonderful thing, your sense of who you are is not derived from that particular person that you are in space and time. Your personal history is not, no longer gives you your sense of who you are. But your sense of who you are is the presence that is you sense right now, that you are right now. That is who you are. Yes, you still have your personal history, it's fine, you don't forget it, you remember exactly what happened. But you don't go there unnecessarily trying in your, in your past and continuously revisit, especially the unpleasant things or even the pleasant, try, try to get, trying to revisit this pleasant time five years ago. That was so nice, and then you, you miss this moment. Or you revisit painful things in the past, you, and you derive your sense, your identity from something that happened, you did in the past, something happened to you, you achieved something. Ten years ago I achieved something. Who cares? <laughs> you like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise. 
the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Oh, that wasn't the big failure. I, I failed. I failed at my marriage. I failed at my job. I didn't get, I didn't, I failed at my university. I failed at everything. I failed. <laughs> okay, now what about this moment? Are you, how can you fail at this moment? You can only fail at this moment by not being present to this moment. That's the real failure, no other failure. And then suddenly, your sense of identity shifts from this construct in the head that you call me and my past to the alive presence. Even the me and my past construct in your head could not exist without the consciousness that gave it form. So you go deeper and realize this is who I am. And it's not a conceptual sense of self anymore because everything else is conceptual. Every story you tell yourself in your head is conceptual. Ideas about who I am. Concepts, in other words, thoughts. So deriving your sense of self from that is very limiting. Somebody asks the question here, the meditation is, who am I? Somebody asks, who am I? This contemplation message seems to be goal-oriented and very appealing, but the spiritual consensus seems to be that enlightenment cannot be made into a goal. I can't tell if these meditations will do what is promised. Please comment. This person thinks that when I say, who am I, the meditation becomes a goal. No, it's not, because you're not asking, who am I going to be when I'm enlightened? <laughs> that would be a goal. But to asking, who am I, is not a goal. It takes you more deeply into the present. It takes you into the present. It eliminates past and future. Who am I? Don't answer the question. That's the essential thing. Any answer to who am I? You failed. <laughs> you failed miserably. <laughs> no, not miserably. Just, you didn't. Uh, it just means you didn't get it. That's okay. <clears throat> who am I? Those words are the pointers. What comes after the pointers? is an alert presence in which you do not know who you are because there's no longer any concepts and you can't really say you know, at least not conceptually, you don't know. You have to have the courage to not know. Not only the courage to not know who you are, also the courage not to interpret other people or situations. You don't need to formulate immediately judgments and concepts about everything around you. Let it be. Because the moment you start formulating, you be, the clash begins between reality and your mind. Because the concepts say this shouldn't be how it is. And so this person, they should, the word should comes very often when you operate through concepts, you can see how frequently the word should comes in. I should have. 
I should, he should, he should have, he shouldn't have, I should not have. So this is a continuous conflict between the mental expectations and reality. So those, this is when you happen live through concepts. So that goes away and you have the courage to not know who you are. Who am I? Well, even saying, I don't know, you've gone too far already, because even that's not totally true. It is true that you do not know conceptually who you are by being able to give some kinds of conceptual answer, but the miracle is there is another way of knowing, another dimension in humans that is non-conceptual. And that arises when you're no longer totally trapped in concepts, mental concepts. It's only from the point of view of mental concepts that it appears that you've become completely ignorant when you do not judge anymore compulsively. But there is a deeper knowing that cannot be put into words. It is direct knowing. There are analogies. There's a traditional analogy from the East, the difference between talking about honey and tasting honey. You know that you can know the honey by writing a PhD about honey without ever having tasted it. And you can know everything about honey, but have never tasted it. And then you can taste the honey without knowing anything conceptually about it. This is an analogy, it's not quite the same. So there's a direct knowing and there's a knowing about. Now, all conceptual knowledge is knowing about. It's not knowing. So most people's sense of self or identity is they know things about themselves. <laughs> and the things they know about themselves is what they have been told by others. That's how it starts. What your parents tell you about you, what your surroundings tell you about you, what your culture tells you about you, where you fit in in your particular culture, what the world tells you who you are, and you take it on board, and then it becomes what you tell yourself about who you are. <laughs> and it's always knowing about, but not knowing, not the true knowing. That's where the, the ancient word gnosis comes from, G-N-O-S-I-S. And this is dreadfully neglected in our ignorant civilization, the deeper level of knowing, they don't even know it exists. And this is why you, they cannot experience anything deeply. You can go into the forest or anywhere in nature. Of course, you can walk in the forest and talk about the stock market with your friend. And, and occasionally you glimpse at the trees. Oh. Oh, that's a nice tree. Now, what about those shares? I think you're... Uh, oh, that's a nice flower. Um, he tells me I should, I should sell apple shares. Uh, so yeah, there you're not there at all. Or you can go through a forest knowing a lot about the forest, which is fine. You can say, oh, that's a such and such a bird, that's such and such a tree, and that's how it grows, and that's that. Isn't it lovely? I wonder if, if I can find this kind of fern that I've been, oh yes, there it is. And you can know a lot and you can label what you see, names for trees and birds and animals and plants and flowers, and miss the knowing. You know a lot about the forest, but do you know the forest? Now, to know the forest, your mind has to become still. And you have to be the presence that experiences 
everything in the forest. And you become the presence from the point of view of conception knowledge. You don't know anything suddenly anymore. You're just taking it all in. And what you take in brings a much, there's a deeper dimension suddenly that you were not aware of at all when, when all you knew was knowing about the forest. And suddenly you experience a depth that is in the forest and in you. Simultaneously, they go together. A depth opens up and you can sense that the forest is an alive energy field. The forest itself is a presence and you can sense the inherent aliveness that pervades the entire forest. And then you go, wow. And you go very alert and you look and listen every sound, every little thing, every, even a little leaf quivering, the slight breeze and everything is. And what then arises in traditional spiritual terminology is called sacredness. Then you go, wow, and you walk more carefully. And that is inaccessible to you if all you have is conceptual knowledge about the forest. You have to go into the, the deeper knowing. The same applies to knowing an, another human being. Again, you can know a lot about another person, perhaps because you know their personal history, perhaps you've known them for a long time, or perhaps you know so much about psychology that when you look at a person or the way they behave or move or speak, you can already interpret and know a lot about them. He is such and such a kind of person or that, that you can apply your knowledge, yes. But again, we are missing something very vital. If you only know the person through mental concepts, you're missing the most vital part or dimension of that human being, because then all you know is the limited, all you know is who that person is within the limitations of their conditioning, their form, their physical form and their psychological form and emotional, mental form. That's all you, that's knowing about. But to really, to go deeper and beyond that in the other person and relate to this human being on a deeper level, you need to let go, if only for a moment, of the conceptual knowledge and just look and listen if they're talking. Look, listen. There's an outflow of attention towards the other and there's a true meeting. And suddenly you can sense, in the same way that you could sense the forest, all you knew was things about the forest, you can now sense an inherent aliveness in the other that has nothing to do with their history. You transcend the karmic limitations in the other because you have transcended the karmic limitations in yourself by becoming present. Otherwise, it's just two karmic formations meeting and having a difficult time. For a little while, a good time, and then it gets hard. Always does. <laughs> so that is all part of bringing presence into everyday life. It is another dimension of consciousness 
the most vital thing in your lifetime here is that. It's very much secondary in what situation of your so-called personal life, in what situation that happens to arise. Whether your life situation is very limited right now, or whether relatively okay, or whether your experience, everybody experiencing, is that I don't think there's anybody who has no problems. <laughs> life is problematic. It is, that's how it is. It's meant to be, otherwise it wouldn't be. Life is challenging. It's never not challenging. Unless you go completely unconscious and drifting off to sleep, and, but then you'll have nightmares. <laughs> so regardless of what your particular situation is, whether you are doing a job that could be considered not important, or whether you're doing a job that in the eyes of the world is considered important, is secondary. Whether you are serving coffee at Starbucks or whether you are the CEO of Starbucks, it doesn't matter, who cares? What matters is your state of consciousness. And it is quite possible that the person serving coffee at Starbucks is much more present. I don't know who the CEO of Starbucks is, but it is possible that that person is much more present than the CEO. Of course it is. And so ultimately, what you do is secondary. The important thing is, what is the state of consciousness through which you do things? So this is really to do with inner purpose and outer purpose. As I wrote about in a book, the inner purpose, this is the awakening. The outer purpose is what you do externally. And what you do is secondary. As more presence arises in you, it is possible that your outer purpose changes. Before it suddenly, you get taken away. And suddenly, you're not serving coffee at Starbucks anymore. Suddenly, you're taken somewhere totally different and perhaps performing some totally different function. It is important to honor the present moment, which means to be present with what you're doing, no matter what you're doing, so that the mind doesn't tell you that you'd rather be doing something else. Now, if absolutely you cannot surrender to whatever you're doing at any given moment, or let's say it's your work, your job, I would suggest you try first to see if you can be, give it honor what you're doing, even if your mind tells you it's not important enough, and you are really doing something that's beneath you, but you happen to be doing it right now. So if you can really fully, given your fullest attention, it means presence flows into it, everything changes. If absolutely you cannot, if your surroundings are so dreadful that every time you're there you go, then please leave. Don't do that to yourself. But in many situations, presence can be brought in, and then you can still be, yes, I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life, of course not, but at this moment, you're doing it. And why not honor it so that a quality flows into what you do? And then much more likely, things are going to change than for somebody who is internally at war with what is, who is internally arguing with the present moment and doesn't want to be there. 
That is really means to be stuck, as shown in the movie Groundhog Day. It's a monumentous thing because as presence arises and we invite it in into everyday life, and then we can apply it when the old patterns come up, the pain body comes up, the strong reactive patterns in certain situations. This is a huge shift in consciousness as karma dissolves and something else takes its place. You think it's a personal thing, it goes far beyond that. It's a shift in the collective consciousness. It's an adventure, it's wonderful, so use what you have, use whatever situation you are in right now. Sometimes the mind says, I don't know what I should be doing in life. I need to figure out what I'm meant to do, what I should be doing, because the mind says, I know I shouldn't be doing this. And I need to figure out where I'm meant to be, because I know I'm not meant to be here. I should figure out who I'm meant to be, because I know I'm not meant to be this person here. That's not quite, this is somewhat dysfunctional thinking. The first realization is, if you're here, you might as well accept and admit that this moment is as it is, and I'm where I am. Wherever you go, there you are. It's a, not only the title of a book, but also a fact. Wherever you go, there you are. And wherever you are, it's here. And uh, w no matter what time you can even think of in your life or some future moment, it's going to be here now, always. To cooperate with life, to align yourself with life first, you accept that you should be where you happen to be. That's where you should be, otherwise you wouldn't be there. Oh, that means I can't complain anymore. Okay, that's true, you can't complain anymore. It does not mean that you cannot see, okay, this is fine, here I am. You can still know where you want to go, but not out of unhappiness or negativity, but you see clearly there are other possibilities, but you're not denying the present moment, and you're not resisting the present moment, because if you internally resist the present moment, the intelligence of life cannot fully express itself through you, because it needs for you to be open in the present moment to flow through you. Life wants to move through you and flow through you, but humans are closed. That's already been expressed in the Bible, that God wants, if you want to use theistic language, God wants to support you, but you're, you're, you're closed. So that the power can move through you, you have to be open to the present moment, which means not denying where you are right now and even what you're doing right now. And if absolutely every fiber of your being says no to where you are. Let's say you work in a slaughterhouse, but you have to make money for, to keep your family alive, but every fiber of your being says no, then you need to walk out. Those are extreme situations, but if you cannot walk out, if it's a prison, then you need to go surrender there to the present moment, and you have to go very deeply there. And people have done it and are doing it, and they can no longer argue 
with the isness of this moment. So if every fiber of your being says no, if you can, you need to remove yourself. But make sure it's not a pattern that is really in you rather than the external situation. Because then you could do something else and again, that it may well be external. But there are places where you, it would, you would rather not be, or if you're involved in total insanity, a war situation, everybody's going totally insane, they're killing each other. If you can, of course, rather than saying, I need to stay here because I need to surrender to the present moment. No, if you can, walk away, remove yourself. If absolutely you cannot, then even there it can be done, but you have to go very deep. These are some philosophers, existentialist philosophers call that limit situations. If you find yourself in a limit situation with dreadful things going on around you and you cannot remove yourself, then you have to go very deep into surrender the present moment. And then sometimes there, even there, miracles happen, even on the outer level. But the miracle then always happens on the inner level because you become internally free of the situation. And even in hell, if you went deep enough, you could be at peace. And even in heaven, if you are not ready for it, you you will think it's hell. (laughs) Because you carry the hell inside your mind. And when you get to heaven, you'll start complaining. (laughs) I'd rather be somewhere exciting. So that's our, that's your life purpose, is this presence practice. And then the rest unfolds. The outer purpose, either what you're doing now, deepens and you do it more effectively and love and joy flows into what you do and affects other people around you or you are so present that it becomes incompatible with where you are and life takes you and says no you're not meant to be here and puts you somewhere else either because they you get fired because you're too present some companies don't want to have presence so you get fired and that'll be great (laughs) or you walk out one day you look around (laughs) we were meant to be asking questions but the the present moment always determines what happens there may still be time for a few questions time is now 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 it's half past now strange thing dividing the day into segments and and then there's the week and there's the months and then there's the years it seems so real but of course it's a mental thing we those are as unreal as the equator we were a few years ago in ecuador the country which is spanish for equator because it's situated on the equator and they have a place where tourists go and there's a lion and says, this is the equator. <laughs> and people take photos. <laughs> there's nothing there, it's just a line. 
And in the same way, it's not really 4.30, it's just it's a mental construct so that, yes, it's helpful so that we can meet rather than saying one day we are going to meet. <laughs> <coughs> but it's not, it's not the year 2013, that's what we say it is. It's a concept, no more. It's not Monday, it's not whatever it is. These are just concepts, not, no, the absolute reality is just, it's always just this moment. There was a time when humans had not invented these concepts and all they ever had was the present moment. What time? What do you mean time? <laughs> what day is it today? Huh? <laughs> what year is it? Year? It's now. Here's a question about observing your thoughts. When observing my thoughts, I notice the observation is made after the thought has passed. Is the concept of observing one's thought supposed to occur simultaneously? For example, a thought arises and so does the being observing the thought. I hope this makes sense. Thanks for everything. That's a good question. One talks often about observing one's thoughts. Can you observe a thought while it arises? Or does the observation come in afterwards? As presence arises, there is presence in the background and thoughts arise in the foreground of your being. So the thoughts arise, this is very hard to describe, but I'm sure many of you know it because you you have experienced it, there is a knowing that these thoughts are arising. There is not a total identification with the arising thoughts. They arise, they may be, they may be quite powerful, but if presence remains, there is a remnant of awareness in the background, so you, you're not totally drawn into the thoughts that arise, which could be opinions, which could be likes and dislikes, which could be all kinds of things you're not totally identified with the thoughts anymore. The background is there, the background of awareness. That really is the balance that needs to be there in your life between the background, which is presence, and the foreground where things happen. It's another way of putting it. In the foreground, you're thinking, but while you think, in the background, you still sense a certain presence, a certain field of awareness. And as you listen now, for example, and as I speak now, you're taking in what you're hearing, and external noises, police car going past right now, just to give us an example at the right moment. You, you hear those things that are happening, and in the background there is an awareness that this is happening. So there's a sense perception, now you hear my words, you take them in, they become thoughts in your head, that's the only way you can access them, auditory perception goes into your ears, signals are transmitted to your brain, the brain reassembles the uh, <laughs> signals and then it, they become thoughts again. But you're also aware of your own presence in the background. 
I'm aware of the presence out of which the words come. So you're no longer totally trapped in the stream of thought as those people in whom the presence or awareness has not been awakened yet. They are totally at the mercy of every thought that arises and then they get continuously dragged along by this stream of incessant compulsive thinking accompanied by certain emotions that reflect the kinds of thoughts they think and that's their life <laughs> every waking moment with a few brief intervals of relief when they go ah oh, that's beautiful or they pet a dog oh, for a moment the mind stops and then it comes back or you have a child a baby you look into the baby's eyes and for a moment there's a space that opens up it's whenever you feel really good and there's a goodness that you feel a joy comes in for a moment there's a space of no thought just aware of presence and that's where it comes through and then the clouds come back again and they become strongest when there's a reaction towards something against something the awareness is in the background and the thoughts are happening so they are no, you're not totally identified anymore with that's really how it is a wonderful thing that happens as i sometimes put it thinking old patterns may still arise old thoughts may still arise you, you don't completely believe in them anymore not completely in other words, they lose their power to make you unhappy. Judgments may still be there, but they are recognized as judgments. So you're not totally in the grip anymore of thoughts. And then thought can be, is no longer problematic. It actually can be a useful tool for creating certain things. Thought is help, helpful. You can, you can write a book. You need thought to write a book. You need thought for many things. And for many other things, you don't need thought. To be a good dancer, you don't need much thought. You need to be able to step out of thought while you dance. Or even a painter, a great painter wouldn't say, now I wonder what, what color is going in that corner there. That's not how creation works. You look and you're present and something comes through you. And that's the state of creation. You go into the state of creation. In for certain creative things, the presence may be, have to use your mind, it flows into your mind, and then you speak from presence. Maybe you become a public speaker, and to be a powerful public speaker, you need to be able to speak from presence. Then people listen. When you read your script, they are half away, they are only half listening, or they drift off because the power isn't there. You read. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to be here tonight to address you, blah, 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 blah. But if you lose your script, you go, words, I don't know what to say, say right now. And everybody listens. You say, I don't know what to say, but they can feel the words are genuine and come out of this moment. I feel so nervous as I sit here facing, I'm don't, I'm just saying. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel so nervous as I sit here facing all of you. 
then people begin to wake up and listen because the words come out of that moment, out of presence, and they are genuine. And then maybe you forget all the things that you, you meant to say and it doesn't matter anymore. But you connect. And not only when you talk to an audience, when you talk to an individual person too, you can be boring, just repeat all the stuff that you've repeated already many times, all the predictable reactions, or you can be alert, present, spacious listening. Some of the best interviewers can do that when they interview a person. They are spontaneous. They may have some questions prepared, but most of the interview then develops spontaneously. And they are the few that are, they always say the right thing at the right moment. And they, it is a true meeting. But you have to be thoughtless in that moment, thoughtless awareness. And when thought happens, it's in the background. When no thought happens, what before was the background becomes the foreground, like now. I've been speaking, and as I've been speaking, in the background was the awareness. Now that I stop speaking for a moment, the awareness that was in the background comes into the foreground. And when words happen, it recedes again a little bit, and the words appear in the space of awareness. And then the words stop, and it comes into the foreground. Or you could be interested in certain things that you're looking at or listening to, and still feel your essential beingness there, listening. And then you could close your eyes and all your senses, the presence. And you open your eyes and there's sense perception again. Another analogy you could use is the awareness is the canvas and your life is painted on the canvas. And it changes all the time, although some fixtures, some things Seem, seem pretty permanent. So it's a complex canvas, there's a complex picture, and colors appear and figures appear, meaning things happen, thoughts, emotions, events, but they all appear on this canvas. And sometimes, if you awaken spiritually, little spaces appear on the canvas, and it's just white, nothing appears there. There's Stillness, little moments of stillness here and there, then covered up again. And then as awareness emerges as a more permanent state or realization, the canvas shines through the colors that appear on it and the figures and the pictures that appear on it. And so there's an awareness of the, the canvas and at the same time, life happens. It's an analogy, no more. And then the canvas actually has a more ethereal quality to it because it's not just the stuff on it. It's that which enables the stuff that's on it to be, shines through. <laughs> and that's a wonderful shift in your life because before that happens, all you have is the stuff of your life. You don't know anything other than the stuff that makes up your life which by stuff, I use that generic term, stuff means external stuff and inner stuff. External stuff is all the things that go on in your life. It includes all the possessions that the stuff that's in your house 
or your apartment <laughs> that you may be, and you may be looking for more stuff to put in there and then there's the the stuff of your relationships and your finances and the stuff of all and then the inner stuff of all your thoughts that go one one thought after another more stuff so most people's lives are just filled with stuff stuff is my life <laughs> i'm using that generic term to include almost everything but they're they're not aware of that which is beyond stuff but enables all the stuff to be the canvas which is of course is the space the consciousness so they're not aware as that awareness comes into your life the canvas shines through the stuff and the stuff is no longer opaque it does not have that density anymore it still happens and that is liberation from just stuff that is the transcendent dimension that then shines into your life that is the true meaning of spiritual spiritual is not a thought it's not even a feeling and it's not a belief and talking about god 12 hours a day doesn't make you spiritual either and so when that shines through in your life you can sigh a sigh give a sigh of relief oh then it does get easier i'm oprah winfrey and you've been listening to eckhart tolle essential teachings the podcast you can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening.